Hey, if you got your Bibles, you can put your finger in Psalm 32 and Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to get you to go to Matthew chapter 5. And why don't you stand with me and we'll read a portion here together. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 3 through 11. Ready? Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can read with me. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And turn with me to Psalm 32. And we'll read the first two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, God, that we could just gather around the scripture, that uh, we could come to you, Lord, to be taught. We pray, God, that as the great shepherd of our church, Lord, that you would just um, speak to each one of us this morning. We pray that your spirit would encourage our hearts. We pray, God, that you would give us a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. Pray, God, that the written word would lead us to the living word this morning. And we just commit this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the man. Sounds familiar like we saw to those beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Interesting, though, in the Psalms, there are seven Psalms that are considered Psalms of Beatitudes, uh, 32 being one here. But I want to go through the other ones really quick for you so you hear the, the blessedness of um, these Beatitude Psalms. The first one is Psalm 1, which says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Then we have the text for this morning, Psalm 32. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The third one is Psalm 34 that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 40 says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. 
who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Psalm 94 says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. Psalm 112 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 127, it's a good one, says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb like a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. That's a good one, eh? Blessed is the man. The Psalms of Beatitude. And blessed, that word blessed, we, we know means this. It means happy. Oh, how happy. Happy is the person whose lives are described here. And just seven times, you know, you'd, think that you, you'd actually think that you'd hear that a lot more in the Psalms, but it's only said seven times. Blessed is the man who, and then off it goes in those Psalms that we mentioned. And this morning in Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is a Psalm of David. Our Bible tells us that. And if we were to take the Psalms and just put them into chronological order, where this one would actually fall is right after Psalm 51. Because it's in the 51st Psalm that David recounts his confession of sin following his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah. And after a period of living in a lie and, and, and covering up and thinking that he had done a pretty good job, the prophet Nathan confronted him in Psalm 51, records David's confession. But after coming clean before the Lord, David speaks here of his experience before and after repentance, what it was like. And if you have, you know, come to Jesus and the throne of his grace and repented of sin, made a confession of transgression, and experienced the reality of what it's like to have, have peace and to have harmony with God and to have tranquility in your heart because you're right with your maker, then you'll greatly understand what David talks about this morning. The mercy of God and, and knowing what it's like to have one's sins forgiven is of greater worth than money. It's of more worth than your health. You know, you could be poor, you can be sick, you can be full of sorrow, and yet there can be great contentment and peace knowing that as far as you and God are concerned, things are right and there's harmony and that your sins have been forgiven. And David was a man who cultivated a very close personal relationship with the Lord. We know that the scripture says he was the man after God's own heart, right? The man after God's heart. He had seen the miracles of the Lord, the provision of God in his life. God had proved to David his faithfulness. And David had cultivated that walk with God. And yet, in a season of his life, having that relationship with the Lord that he did, in a season of inactivity, in a season of idle, apathetic spirituality, when he should have been at war, Sin came and took advantage of him and took advantage of his spiritual indifference. And David gave over and he indulged his flesh. 
And the result was actually a little more than indulgence. David dipped his toe in the water and then he went the whole way, as we know. He committed uh, adultery. He committed murder. And the result in his own life was hard-hearted indifference for his own actions, seeking to rationalize it and justify it in his own heart and mind. And there was a cooling off in his relationship with his Lord. And so when he came clean, as Psalm 51 records in uh, that confession, here Psalm 32 shares the blessedness of knowing that his sins are forgiven. And the, blessing, the blessedness is not ascribed to something that he rekindled in, in terms of his ability to be diligent in obedience to God's law. David was counted righteous and he was forgiven apart from his works. His faith in God's ability to meet him as he confessed his sin was what was counted to him as righteousness. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we know what the scripture says. The Bible tells us that God actually pays man back the wages that he deserves. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. David believed in God's forgiveness and he confessed his sin and he experienced the blessed result of knowing that his sins were forgiven. And we know that when we trust in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and we repent and we turn unto him in faith, we are forgiven. And the psalmist says, blessed is the one who knows his sins are forgiven. Self-righteous Pharisees have no share in any such blessing. I think of the prodigal son. You know his story, how he wandered off and asked for his inheritance, demanded his inheritance, and went off and blew it all. And the scripture says that when he came to his senses, he said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let, the, let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. The music, the dancing, the eating, the partying, there was no demand from the father that the son must first go clean your room, do the chores in the field, and then I will give you the forgiveness that you asked for. No, the son confessed his sin and his father imputed to that young man full instantaneous forgiveness from the father. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Sin's a burden. Sin is trouble. It's like a millstone hanging around your neck. The Hebrew word for forgiven is nasah, and it literally means to lift it up, to carry it away, to bury it 
to, to bear the weight of it. And that's what Christ does for us. He takes it away. He lifts the weight of sin, carries it off, and he forgives us. Remember that great Bible story? We had so much fun at VBS this week. I got to be a role that I haven't had for lots of years at VBS, and it was I got to be the Bible story guy. So they'd come to Bible expeditions, and I'd get to recount Bible stories to the kids, and it was so fun. And you know, one of my great characters that I love in the Scripture is that man, Samson. And there's that story of him where he went to the Philistine city and he uprooted the gates of the city. He put it on his shoulders and he hiked out of town and he set it up on top of the mountain outside the city. And greater still is Jesus Christ who took the weight of our sin and bore it on his shoulders and he carried the cross for the sin of humanity and the sin of mankind and he bore our judgments so that we could be forgiven. And the scripture says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the reality is, is you never graduate from needing that provision from Jesus Christ. Whether you're a sinner or you're saved or you're self-righteous, we need Christ's forgiveness. You know, uh, we sang this, this morning, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. That's, that's from Exodus chapter 34 where after Moses had come down the mountain and smashed the tablets as he found the children of Israel dancing around the golden calf and being involved in all of their sin and behavior, Moses went back up the mountain and the Lord came to him and he heard those words of the Lord in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. God revealed himself and said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped worshiped. And he said, if now if I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in our midst, for we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and sin, and take us to be your inheritance. And in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. When we come to Christ, he does not count our trespasses against us. And like verse 1, verse 2 begins with a blessing. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So if we were to cruise those Psalms of Beatitudes that we listed, Psalm 32 is unique in this sense, that it contains a double blessing, a double portion, the portion of the firstborn, I might say, the double inheritance. Two blessings for the forgiven. It's unique and stands alone. The blessing is doubled. The happiness of those who are forgiven is supposed to be a doubly experienced portion. And as you, as you read those first two verses, you see three words that are used to describe our rebellion against God. David says it was sin, it was transgression, it was iniquity. And Spurgeon said this, of transgression, sin, and iniquity. 
He said, they are the three-headed dog at the gates of hell. Love Spurgeon. But our Savior has silenced their barkings forever against his own believing ones. The trinity of sin has been overcome by the trinity of heaven. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards the crowd and walking towards them, and he pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have a Savior who has offered himself as a substitute for us, and forgiveness is found in him, and it's a real. Amen? It's an experience and a reality that's better than anything this world can offer. It's no sham. It's no counterfeit. It's not fiction. There is nothing fake about it. Jesus Christ forgives sins. And I think of our world that dreams of peace. Dreams of peace, but there's nothing greater than the true peace that is found in the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ that a human heart can know. How blessed to be forgiven. And yet, David alludes to the fact that where forgiveness has not yet happened, there you will find deception. Self-deception at the end of verse 2. Like a drug that blinds the human heart. In a life where there is no forgiveness, there you will find deception because that heart must deceive itself and say, I'm okay, I'm okay. In the heart of the unrepentant, there is deceit. John told us that, 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Old Testament tells us God's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. There is deceit in the heart of men. And true forgiveness gives birth to transparency. True forgiveness gives birth to simplicity, childlike faith, to love. Because forgiveness frees us from that need to use deception to preserve ourselves because Christ has saved us. And the result is, is that in a life of the forgiven, Jesus Christ can come to the forefront. You know, we could all tell different testimonies. I think about different times God's used forgiveness in my life. You know, I, I, I can recall one time where I was so angry I began to plot murder. You know, in my mind, I just let it go. I'm like, yeah, we could go that road. I could get rid of the body that way. We could do that. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. And I know you think it too, so we can talk about these things. And, and anger, just uncontrolled and unleashed, and you let it go where it wants to go and where your heart will let it happen without Christ reining it in, and it'll go there. And thankfully, you know, it, it wasn't one of you here that I was plotting. <laughs> Hang on, let me scan the room. No, we're good. <laughs> no, but you know, as, as I thought, oh, what's with my heart? Come on, this has got to stop. And we, I brought it to the cross and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me. What happened? He set me free from that anger. But not only that, then I was able to begin to pray and forgive the one who had so offended me. And the reality is, is that when you're forgiven, you can share such things. You can be transparent. You can talk about the simplicity of how Christ sets you free from sin. But those who do not bring their sin and transgression and iniquity to the cross and to the Lord Jesus Christ learn to play tricks with the conscience. They deceive themselves. They practice deceit in their own heart. 
Their lives go on to produce the fruits of unrepentance, lying, hypocrisy, trickery, deception, even murder where David went as he allowed sin to deceive his own heart. I mean, you think about the, the behavior of King David as he began to cover up his tracks of his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He lied. He wrote false documents. He directed an army to do something that cost others their lives. It wasn't just Uriah that eventually died. He sought to get Uriah drunk on a number of occasions. He plotted murder. He used government and his money as pawns in his hands so that his plans could be fulfilled. I mean, the man who had been called the man after God's own heart was sucked into the delusion of sin's pleasure. And David tells us in this psalm about the destruction that such self-deception brought into his life, began to manifest. Look at verse 3. He said, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He said, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. You know, as David shares, there's something about a personal testimony, right? That, that can be inspiring and that you can relate to. You know, I could tell you how to fly a plane, but the reality is I've never flown a plane. So that doesn't work as a testimony. I could tell you how to run the vacuum, but the reality is I don't know how to run the vacuum. No, I'm just kidding. I just don't like to use it. David said, he began to give this personal testimony. He says, here's what was happening in my life as I deceived myself. My bones began to waste away. When I kept silent in self-deception, trying to cover my sin, my bones began to waste away. In Hebrew, the bones speak of the essence and the nature of the structure of a man. Your bones are the structure that support your entire body. And when we smother sin through deception, the reality is it still rages inside of us. In fact, Hebrew expresses this, the Hebrew language expresses this, it's like a wounded lion in what it's doing inside of you. And the mind may deceive, but the body is not fooled, and the reality is, is sin will kill you. The mouth can be silent in confession, but your bones are aware of the sorrow that is caused by sin. And there's this sense from Peter, uh, from, from David that of being like prematurely old almost, constant groaning, feeling the heaviness, the sense of being spiritually part and parched and destitute, and those things were the handiwork of guilt. He says, verse 4, for... For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I mean, get, get this picture. I always love the picture of the hand of God in scriptures. And it always reminds me back to the story of Moses and the magicians, Pharaoh's magicians. And as Moses began to perform miraculous works, the magicians came to a point where they said this, this is the finger of God. We better recognize it. We can't match what's going on here. And we must recognize that it's only God's finger. It's his smallest strength. That's why Jesus said, if I drive out the demons by the finger of God, then you must recognize the kingdom of God is amongst you. 
meaning I'm only using my smallest power when I drive out these demons. And David said, in the silence of his unconfessed sin, God did not use his finger, but he laid his hand upon him. What a, what a picture that is for us. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be held in the hand of the Lord, to know what Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. But it's a heavy thing to think about God laying his hand upon you. His hand is so helpful when it lifts us up, but man, is it heavy when it presses us down. In fact, Spurgeon said it this way, it's better to have the world on your shoulders like Atlas than to have God's hand on your heart like David. And David said that he felt the weight of that hand day and night. At night as he lay on his bed, oh, he couldn't escape. In the morning when he woke from his sleep, there was the hand of God heavy upon his sin. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 5 that the hand of God was once heavy against the Philistines when they took the Ark of the Covenant. They took it back to their cities after they had captured it and all sorts of sickness and disease and disaster began to break out on them and finally their leader said, send that Ark away before the heavy hand of God destroys us. And the heavy hand of God can bring death. As we know, the, the wages of sin is death. What kind of effect does it have on a person? Well, I think of David again. As a young man, he slew the lion and the bear. He defeated Goliath. He killed 200 Philistines so that he might win Michael, the daughter of Saul, in, in marriage. He was a warrior. He was... A man of blood? I mean, who's, who's kidding who? David was a killing machine. There's not a man here who'd want to go toe-to-toe with David. But understand this. The seasoned warrior, battle-hardened veteran, battle-scarred man said that because of sin, his strength was dried up like heat, parching the ground in summertime. He said his life became like a scorched piece of earth. Once lush, once healthy, his strength dried up like straw, like summer fruit left out too long in the sun. And the moisture is extracted that began to happen in his life. And then he says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You know, the crazy thing about sin is this, is that we may be able to hide it from others, but we can't hide it from the Lord. God knows my transgressions. He knows your transgressions. They are ever before him. And so confession of sin is simply an acknowledgement before God, before the Lord. The Lord already knows it's there. It's us coming to the place where we're honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord and we make a confession. Okay, God, I'm not going to cover up any longer. I'll confess my sin. I will agree with you about the reality of my transgression. And before David came to this point of confession, he and God were almost like on opposite sides of uh, the fence. God condemning his sin and, and David defending himself, trying to rationalize it, excusing his sin. 
And the promise of God is to forgive those who repent. What shall we say? What does the scripture say? That God has told us when we repent of our sin, he cast them, as we sang this morning, as far as the east is to the west. What an awesome thought. How far is that? I don't know, man. That just keeps going and going and going. As far as the east is to the west. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, when the Lord removes sin, he never remembers it again. Don't you love that about the Lord? How awesome is that? God does not remember your sin. And you know, as I think about that, I just think, you know, the promise of God to forgive his people is so real. And when we repent and receive forgiveness, we must by faith lay hold of that forgiveness. And right there is where many of God's people go astray. Even though they have God's promise to forgive them, they have the word of God telling them that they've been forgiven when they confess their sin before the Lord, and yet they cannot forgive themselves. And so they keep dredging up sin, keep feeling guilty about it. And Satan continues to have victory in their life because they're feeling guilty over sin that God forgave. And they're virtually useless to the cause of Christ. Look at the Lord says this, the word of God says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. The word of God then to the one who's troubled by something that's been brought to the cross and yet won't let go of it is this. Believe. Believe. Lay hold of the promises of God. Don't try to resurrect what the Lord buried. If he says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And David's going to go on to talk about, he's going to begin to talk about his rejoicing in the Lord over knowing that his sins are forgiven. If God has said that he forgives, then we must forgive ourselves. And it's amazing that human beings can become so full of themselves, so proud, so full of pride that we would re- refuse to do the simple thing that would, first of all, lead us to forgiveness. That's to acknowledge our sin that's already well known to God. He puts his hand on us to lead us to that place of forgiveness. But I would also say this, it's a prideful thing to cling to your guilt when Christ has forgiven you. Was the cross not sufficient for you, my friend? Would we ever dare to suggest that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ was not sufficient for any one of our sins? The cross is sufficient. The cross is sufficient for all of the sin of all of mankind throughout all of the ages past, present, and future, when it is brought to the cross, as Jesus said, it is finished. And Proverbs tells us that he who confesses and forsakes transgression will obtain mercy. My friends, today is a day of mercy. The prodigal son said, Father, I've sinned before heaven and before you. And the father said, put a robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. It's time for a feast. Come on, welcome home, son. And for David, you know, he, as he uses these words sin, iniquity, transgression, it's not just sin that we confess. David tells us that, that he confessed the iniquity of his sin. 
What he was acknowledging is my sin is immoral, God. My, my sin is grossly unfair. It's, it's wrong behavior before you. It's law-breaking. To confess the iniquity, iniquity of our sin is to confess, God, I have participated in wickedness. Father, I am guilty. And what does the Lord do? He forgives. How simple. I mean, how simple, right? That's the gospel. Repent of our sin. We invite Christ in. He forgives and he comes and he has a relationship with us. Forgives the guilt. Deep and thorough. Lances it out with his mercy. Pours his grace in. Heals us of the sin virus that was killing us. The psalmist says, he restores my soul. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's a double blessing. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts, in whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So David says in verse 6 and 7, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach you. Reach him. For you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. You know, how many times have we been driven to the place of prayer by, by hearing the testimony of someone else who experienced God's provision? They said, I prayed and God did this. And we say, man, I got to take that issue to prayer. And we go to that place of prayer. You know, it's been said where one man finds a gold nugget, others are inclined to dig. The stories of others inspire us to live for God. And David is inspiring. And he says this, you need to hear this as I've experienced God's forgiveness. What's the acceptable time to come to God? And he says, it's now. Come now. Come now while the door's open. Today is the day of salvation. Between the time of sin and the coming day of judgment, mercy rules, grace rules, come and be forgiven. The hour to seek him is now. Make the most of the opportunity. And don't slight and treat with contempt the time of forgiveness because the Lord will save and forgive those who call on his name. Noah was saved in the rising flood. He took refuge in God's plan. The ark that he had been instructed to build, he went into it, and when he went into it, the scripture says the Lord closed the door behind him, and as the waters rose, uh, it's a frightful picture when you read between the lines of what happened. Imagine the people standing outside the ark, pounding it, opened the door, but God had closed the door. The, the opportunity for mercy was gone. The Israelites passed through the Waters of the Red Sea that were held back by the Lord and they crossed on dry land through to the other side and when the Egyptians tried to pass through, what did God do? He let the waters return to the place and they were swallowed. And David says, therefore, let, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found because surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Psalm 69 verse 1 says, Save me, O God, the waters have come up to my neck. 
Save me, O God. Stretch out your hand from on high and rescue me and deliver me from the many waters. David says of the Lord, you are my hiding place. You preserve me in trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I love that. You are my hiding place. Who who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91 verse 1. I mean, this is the same guy who just a few verses back was talking about the hand of God oppressing him, what it was physically doing in his body, how his bones were uh, affected, how his strength was affected, how his life was drying up. And now he says of the Lord, when I confessed my sin, you became my hiding place. You know, when I was a kid, we went to this Bible camp. I don't even remember. It's somewhere up behind cultists, and it might be what is now Stillwood. Is that right, Mom? No, okay, anyways. I always try to think where this Bible camp was that I went to when I was a kid. Anyways, my cousin was there with me, Jody. He's a few years older than me. And we snuck off during camp. At some point in time, we went into this old barn, and there was this cool old milk truck. And we picked up rocks, and we smashed out the headlights. It was awesome. I mean, what can I say? But the reality was, I was like five. He was like eight, nine. We knew we had done wrong. And so after we had smashed out the headlights at Bible camp, um, wasn't always a bad kid at Bible camp, uh, we went, and all of a sudden there were adults looking for us because they were on to us. So the search was on, and Jody took me, and we went into his tent, and we hid in the tent. And eventually some adults came, and they found us, and Jody said, you wait here. I'm going to deal with this. And he left me in the tent as a five-year-old, and I couldn't see anything. It was all zipped, just shadows. And he talked to the adults, and he took the heat. And I thought, wow, what a picture. He put me in a hiding place, and he protected me. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. He doesn't smash the lights with us. He just lets, we do that by ourselves. But then he takes us, and he puts us in the tent, and he takes the heat for us. He will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, Psalm 27, verse 5. The Lord's a stronghold in days of trouble. Don't you praise God for his grace, for his forgiveness that he hides us? I love this picture. David said, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. You picture that in your mind for a minute. Imagine God standing around you encircling you. He encircles your life. And he's shouting to anyone that comes near, I've delivered him. Stay back. I've delivered him. I have delivered him. He is mine. I surround him. Isn't that awesome? You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Verse 8, the Lord says in the midst of David's psalm, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. The Lord says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. I mean, God is so good that he says this, Man, not only will I put you in my tent, not only will I surround you, my voice will be to you in your ear. I'll say, This is the way, walk in it. I'll instruct you. I will counsel you. I will teach you. I will watch over you with my eye. 
in a good sense. I'm watching over you, the Lord says. And he's saying, you're going to learn to walk with me and follow me and go where I instruct. And the Lord says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. You know, the difference between human beings and beasts is understanding. A horse or a mule has to be controlled with a bit or, and or a bridle because it has no understanding in, in that sense of the Lord speaking to it. But you and I can understand the Lord and we can hear his voice and we can come to his word and we can seek him in prayer. And so the Lord says, follow me willingly. Do not follow the stupidity of your flesh, flesh, but live for the things of the spirit and the things of God. You know, there was a farmer and he had his friend with him and they were going to take a trip into town. And so the farmer took his mule and he tied it up uh, to the cart and his friend got on the seat of the cart and then the farmer reached into the back of the cart and he took a two by four and he slug right over the top of the head, the mule. His friend says, what'd you do that for? And the farmer said, I had to make sure I had his attention. Then he got on the cart and off they went. And the moral of the story is this. Don't be a mule. (laughs) Don't be a mule. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Wow. Sorrow surrounds the wicked. Disaster pursues sinners. But the righteous are rewarded with good, Proverbs says. Jeremiah 17, 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. And so last verse, David says this, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart, be glad, rejoice, Shout for joy. The Lord is your strength. Happiness is not just your privilege in Jesus Christ. It's your duty. As I thought about this text, I just, at times I'm like, I just need to shout. And there's times for that where we just need to shout in the Lord and rejoice in his goodness to us. We're not the frozen chosen. You know, it's okay. You can smile about Jesus this morning, Okay. You can smile about forgiveness. You can shout. You can be glad in God, your Savior. He saved you for the praise and the glory of his name. And, you know, it's normal for a forgiven person to be a happy person. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Man, I don't know where you're at. I just thought I'd do something different this morning. We are... Uh, the Roan family's going off on holidays for about 10 days here, heading up to before we go to church camp. And I just thought, ah, I don't want to go back to the series. We'll get into that back after camp. And so I thought we'd go somewhere else this morning and uh, that we rejoice in the goodness of God. And um, our worship team, I'm going to invite you guys to come. What are we singing next? Are we singing that happy song? Oceans, okay. But then we're going to sing the happy song about... Um, I forget, the lines left my mind. Oh, yeah, happy day.
You washed my sins away. They opened up with that this morning as they were practicing. I said, you guys, that was a perfect song for this morning. So we'll close with that one this morning. And it's good for us to rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You are awesome. Jesus, we thank you for the cross this morning. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes and cleanses us from every sin. This morning, God, as your people, we agree with you. We were dead in sin. We were lost. We were living lives of deceit until Jesus was preached to us and we confessed our sin and you forgave us and came and dwelt among us. And Jesus, this morning, we thank you for that. We rejoice in your goodness. Lord, this morning, I pray that if there is any here who does not know you, that is lost and dead in their sin, Lord, I pray that they would take the opportunity uh, to be prayed for. I pray, Lord, that they would take the opportunity to make a confession and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I I acknowledge that you died on the cross for my sin, and Jesus, I invite you into my heart and into my life. Come and be my Lord. And I thank you, God, that when we do so, you graciously pour out your mercy, you pour out your forgiveness, and you make us, you bring us into your tent, Lord. You're our hiding place. So Jesus, today we run to you, we, we shout to you, we thank you, Lord, that you surround us, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.